Big Lens Fast Shutters brought to you by people like me. Ree and Matt do this show to make you a better sports photographer. With all I've learned listening to these guys, I've gone from the stands to the sidelines. I've gone from being a fan of the team to being their photographer. So join me in supporting BLFS. So go to patreon.com slash BLFS and sign up today. All right, Ree, what's this episode all about? Coming up, not having your 7200 for the weekend. We talk about being emotional, you know, the highs and lows, happy and sad. There are some lights along the way as well. There's some really excellent questions this month. The Olympics and the shittiness of this whole thing. Episode 58 is next. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Konnichiwa, this is Ryu Vocal. Shalom, this is Matt Cohen. Welcome to Big Lens Fast Shutter, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten it, I know you haven't, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way. Since this is a 100% user-funded audiovisual entertainment, please go to patreon.com slash BLFS. And that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash BLFS. And show us how much you love us because we are here to make you a better sports photographer. So, news. News. Here at News, both Ryu and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous month. And we talk about ourselves because we like to. Yeah, so Matt Cohen, your best and the worst. Best, I just got home from my last rodeo of this season in Southern California. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, a lot of great horses and bulls, best cowboys in the country. Definitely a good chance to fill in some of the needs that I had that I didn't get to through the rest of the season. Yeah, it was a very productive weekend. Worst shoot, I guess this leads into the next part of what we're talking about. I smashed my 7200 and on a just a doomed shoot all the way around. So that was my worst. My best was that I started to... Um, so I have this grand plan now that I want to go to the Olympics. I want to shoot the Olympics. Just so you know, this is like, you know, there are kind of rules into curtations and things like that. There are only really quite a handful of like photographers in the world who gets this pass that you can shoot any sports you want. Like literally everything. Old guys from like, you know, born in like nine, like before like World War One, they have these passes. They're not particularly good. They're old. They've been doing this for a long time. They get it. So unless they die or unless they retire, um, these passes will not be given to other people. So what happens is that usually people will apply for individual sports. So like Matt will apply for track and field and I'll apply for gymnastics and you know, Joe from like next door would apply for swimming. And you can only take that sport that you're kind of given the accreditation for. So if I wanted to shoot tennis, for instance, I need to then apply for another accreditation just for tennis. So this is kind of how it works. So I decided like I, I, I could have gone this year like to shoot, you know, soccer, football over there. But to me, that's not really like Olympic sport. Same goes for tennis and, you know, 
um, golf and all these like sports that they actually have like a big championship and big tournament. My cat is crying because my wife left, go downstairs. Um, I decided like I'm going to do, you know, one particular event and for Tokyo 2020 and that's going to be climbing. And climbing has been very, very popular for the past couple of years. Um, the hipsters love it. It's actually good TV. And especially bouldering, where you kind of have to like, you know, kind of figure out like how to actually get from point A to point B. And I thought if I do this for four years, quite seriously, I will get an accreditation to go and shoot this in Tokyo in four years time. I did my first uh, climbing shoot this past, past month. And it's very interesting. It's um, I think it's something I can kind of get myself into because there's so so many different things you can do with the actual sport. So it's gonna be like at least once once a month from now on, I'm gonna shoot some kind of a climbing event in Europe, and I'll keep on doing it for the next four years. So hopefully, I will get that passed. My worst was that football started again, <laughs> and soccer happy, but also kind of sad at the same time. So it's kind of getting to a point that you know it's bit you know dull <laughs> sometimes and i've had a game uh match this uh this past month that was uh by munich against someone i don't i forgot oh, this is bremen and the match finished at six nil it could have ended up by like 25 to nil it was really that bad and it's when you see a match like that it's just you know takes a lot out of you that was my worst since matt cohen didn't have his semi 200s over this weekend i have not taken my semi 200 out about shooting for a past month because I bought the 200 F2. We're gonna discuss it quite briefly, like how it felt. Like it's not really my favorite lens, but Matt Cohen, like he uses this. Like well, a lot of people actually use 7200 2.8. So what I want to know really is what was uh, the most difficult thing living without without being able to actually use 7200. Did you think you benefited from this experience? Yeah, I definitely did because I got some pictures that. I wouldn't have gotten if I had been relying on my 70 to 200. I think we need to take a little bit of a step back and kind of talk about the 70 to 200 in general. And I think Ryu and I both have mixed feelings on it and probably more negative than most people have. And it's not that it's a bad lens and it's not that you can't get good pictures with it. It's that it becomes a crutch. It becomes like that lens that allows you to get everything in the frame or it allows you to stand in a certain place where you can get everything in the frame. And I want, don't want to get into a Zoom versus Prime debate because it's super tiresome and I don't think really either one of us is interested in doing that. But what ends up happening is you end up shooting at 70 or at 200 and that's pretty much it. And, you know, you, you zoom in and out accordingly and you get lazy and you don't think about where you should be because it doesn't really matter where you should be because you can get it all from where you are. And that leads to bad photography. You can certainly use a 7200 in a way that is good photography. Like if you keep moving around and you make choices about what end you want to be on, you know, there is something great about shooting at 70 at minimum focus distance from something it's going to look pretty cool but if you're shooting at 200 and you're way too far away from something it's going to look like shit these are things you kind of have to keep in mind while you're shooting but mm -hmm. as much as you keep them in mind while you're shooting you still have it like you can still 
your instincts kick in and you zoom out to get everything in the frame and you stop making choices at that point and you're just going by habit and by instinct and by reaction and it shouldn't be very surprising that we don't really condone any of that like there are times for reaction there's times when things happen that are unexpected and that you can't plan for whatever and then you have to react and it's good to have those kind of skills restricting yourself in Ryu's case he's been using the 200 f2 I've been using the 135 f2 which is a hard lens to use for sports because it's a basically a portrait lens so I use that this weekend I took a bunch of lenses but I really only shot the 135 f2 and the 300 2.8 and ordinarily in that same situation I would have used my 400 2.8 and a 70 to 200 I just restricted myself to those two lenses and had to make choices and do things that I wouldn't ordinarily do. And I ended up getting, I don't know, I haven't looked through everything yet, but at least six or seven pictures that I've seen so far, I would not have gotten. I would have zoomed out and maybe not had quite as impactful a shot as I did with the 135 shooting at f2. Just gives it a look that you don't get with the 70 to 200. And then also on the other end, shooting the 300 I had a little bit more time before what I was shooting came to me so I was shooting things that were closer and as you know when you shoot things that are closer to you you get more separation from the background so at both ends of that worked out pretty well it's not something I'm going to do every time because it's risky I missed shots that I would have gotten with my 70 to 200 and that will probably end up costing me a little bit of money I think overall it worked out pretty well and I'm happy with the pictures that I did get and I think those will overrule the pictures that I didn't get people really like i don't know they'll probably like die for a 7200 like it's always like this lens that people really always they want to get like if you start well, it's, sports it's photography first, it's the first longer yeah. lens that people get right and that's that's what it, you think you know if you're shooting if you learn how to shoot with 35 millimeter or a 50 millimeter or something like that or even an 85 you look at 200 like it's the longest thing in the world 200 is barely even telephoto, really. Yeah, but I think it's the the whole f2.8 thing is also like a big deal for a lot of people because you can probably get like a 50 to 300 lens with like f5.6 that comes with your kit, you know? Basically everything like what massive, because I don't want to repeat myself. But basically for me, I do find that I am zooming out to get everything in all the time and it really, really pisses me off because I know I shouldn't. Uh, and I think prime lenses for me, they work better for me because I didn't have to like kind of make a decision at that moment. So, okay, should I go with that? Should I go with this? One thing I thought was quite funny was that I had uh, 400 on one hand and I had the 200 on the other. And I had a colleague of mine who was shooting the same matches as I was who had the 200 to 400 F4. And I thought, wow, he can do both <laughs> with two lenses that I have. <laughs> so it's something that I will probably do it here and there because i feel like there's there's a limit to actually like having the 200 f2 for that for my for my experience because of the fact that it's a really heavy lens and it's not easy to just kind of like you know like hang it on your neck because it's really it's just too heavy to do it it's, it's tough yeah. for a second body it's really tough so <laughs> but like for instance like when i was shooting um climbing i have enough places to actually like put these lenses so i thought okay that's cool i just like leave it there and when i lose it, i just pick it up from the you know, whatever the platform and i can just switch and i can use that or I can just like say, okay, for this day, I just use F200, so 200 F2 as the longest lens. And I'll basically compensate with uh, my other body with uh, wider, you know, lenses. So I'm going to try to mix it up. To like live without the 7200, it is very difficult in that respect. It really, really is. It makes things a lot more difficult. 
uh, makes your bag a lot heavier as well. It is something that if you've always been using that lens, then I think like well, how Matt experienced it, that you will get different photos using other lenses that you would not have gotten had you been, you know, besides like use 7200 again for the, you know, 800 billion times. Because I saw like this thing on, uh, on the Flickr group page about like creativity and things like that. If you kind of like get into that kind of a rut, if you feel like you're not being creative enough and things like that, I'm sure there's another lens other than the 7200 that you have lying around. Take that and go shoot. I think you don't have to buy anything. I mean, I did, <laughs> but you know, like, but you should definitely do that. And it'll kind of like, you know, make you move and think uh, in a different way and you will get different results and that would really push you to kind of like get out of your normal habits and that I would think that would you know give you the opportunity to actually take, you know create interesting images that would not have been possible with 7200 so yeah I, I agree with that completely especially the as advice for somebody who's in a creative rut I, you know making yourself do something is totally different than telling yourself, okay, I'm going to shoot differently yeah, today. Yeah, it's difficult. Huh? Um, you know, you show up and you realize, okay, well, that 65 millimeters that I used to have is gone, and I'm, you know, and as are uh, the, uh, you know, the the other whatever 80 at the other end or something like that. If you're restricting yourself to what I did at 135, like the at the long end, you're you're like, oh man, this is where I would ordinarily stand and I can't do it because it's just too far away versus this thing is coming at me really quickly and oh, all of a sudden it's, I can't get the whole thing in. And it will definitely make you think about what you're shooting differently. And I think that that is good if you're in a rut or if you're not in a rut, it's good to, it's good to get different pictures. Like the pictures that I have from this weekend made with the 135 look definitely different. There's no question about it. Like I had to move in closer on some and move more sideways on others. And the pictures look unlike the pictures that I would have gotten otherwise. And, you know, you don't have to do it every single time, but it does help to, to get the variety. So there you have it. It was a bit of a long use, but I thought it was worth talking about because it's such a, oh, I thought it was a very interesting topic, you know? Anyway, off to assignment desk. But before we do that, we have this service called Critical Beatdown, and that is you give us $100 in American currency, and we will, on video, critique your portfolio up to 15 images. So we'll just talk about just your photos for, you know, for one hour. And you can actually choose to have this published, like so other BLFS people can see, or you can keep it private so you can, you're the only person who would actually see it. If you're interested, please go get in touch with us from our Facebook page. That is uh, Facebook and just look for Big Lens Fast Shutter. The other thing you can actually go to is BigLensFastShutter.com and yeah, just contact us from there. Assignment Desk. We give you an assignment and you show us if you've been listening. Don't doze off and show us that you've been an attractive student or a bad one. So Simon Desk this past month was about emotions, emotional highs and lows. It's sports, you're always gonna have a winner and a loser. It is really important 
that you can do this like like it should be like top priority if you're going to be shooting sports to me it's really all about the whole emotional aspect of it like there's always going to be a be winner and it's going to be a loser and you have to be there to capture it and you guys really i guess it's been terrible no like we did this like a couple of times it's just, this is this is just unbelievably yeah. bad but i have to say this one is marginally better than the ones we had before because I honestly, oh my god, is we it? had ones that like people like think like emotions is about like kind of making scrunchy faces, you know what I mean? Or or not even that. It, in some of them, it's not even there's not even a scrunchy no. face in it. And it has to be obvious that the person is happy or sad. It's very simple without knowing what the context of the whatever picture you you've basically like put up on this thread. We're basically going to judge if it's good or bad, but I don't think we should we go through all of them really, really quickly. So just kind of, yeah. So if you want to actually kind of like watch, like kind of like participate in this whole thing, go to Flickr.com, uh, look for Big Lens Fast Shutter, and this is our Flickr group page. And on discussions, there is a thread called Assignment Desk Emotions EP fifty eight, and we're just going to go through that, and you can have a look and. Yeah, these kind of these kind of break down into two sets. There are ones that are that actually do have emotions that are more or less snapshots, and then there are ones that don't have any emotion no. in them at all. So exertion is different than emotion. So these these ones where people are in the process of playing lacrosse one and this the first pole vaulting one and the wrestling one or whatever this rugby one at the end like emotion means something like the word has a definition I, you know i don't know do you not know what it what emotion means or are you substituting funny face for emotion I, I don't know but those ones that i just called out those those there's no emotion involved like they i'm sorry look at this rugby picture and tell me there's emotion or look at this lacrosse or the helmet or this one the black and white wrestling one or whatever no emotion whatsoever like these are just absolutely non-emotional pictures at all yeah. learn the difference between emotion and exertion or you know just people making funny faces or something like that you know then the ones that actually do have emotion uh slim shoddy you know this is not a good picture yes you know she's happy and the other person's covering their face but he should have you know concentrated on the woman who was being sad because that's really easy to to see that she's not happy the other woman who actually looks she's smiling she's doesn't you know look like she's really really happy right but but the point is that you know from where he was and what was going on you know it's no, just a snapshot really you know there's there's no there's no composition there's no thought it was just like this is the finish line and they finished and whatever you you have to get something amazing yeah. for it to work at that point the second one again that's exertion there's no i i challenge you to tell me what kind of emotion is is going on there this other one where she's smiling after going this is probably the best picture that's in here but the pole vault um, one you know no yeah no 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 I, I'm, I'm really going with like the whole emotion thing and for me like it's the alvaro campo one that shows he's very sad and that should be like that's the whole point it has to be really really to me this is so not obvious this pole vault one that she's not like pumping her fist as she's going down or anything you know she's just kind of like i can't even tell happy is an emotion nah come on matt cohen it has to be obvious this is not obvious uh it's really well not. okay well i disagree i think that alvaro's picture sucks i think that it could it could have been why I, listen 
he was he, he was given a golden opportunity, right? Like there's a lane empty, the guy's laying down, everybody else is still going. I don't know what happened to this guy. Obviously, it's a sprint. So what did he false start or something? I have no idea. The, this picture technically it sucks. It's underexposed. He's too high. I, I don't. What? I don't understand. I like I this picture one. Sucks. No, because I like the fact that I can actually kind of like you know make out like what kind of could have happened. Why is he so high? Well. Why? Why is he so high? But the thing is, like, if he wasn't high, you couldn't actually, like, get the kind of lanes in the way, you yeah. know, it kind of goes yeah. that direction. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised, though. I like this one a lot. I thought, like, this really, like, this way, out of all of them, I think was very, very well yeah. done. No. It I shows, you know, emotion. No, I think he missed. Like, he's lying around. He's very, very sad. But, like, the pole vault one, I just, I just don't see it. I really just all don't. Right. Uh, we have to agree to disagree. Yeah. Simon, uh, yeah. you know. I, yeah. That's emotion. It is, but you know, I don't need the the after the the one girl's elbow. I don't need any of that. You know, I no. I don't need the rest of their uniforms. You shoot it tight or crop it tight or something like that, and you have a little bit better of a chance at it. But I I don't know. Can I give a bit of a yeah. tip to people who are going to be doing this in the future? If it's a team event, you have to basically look for their best player or their most famous player because that's the most important one, or whoever actually like made the 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 you know, the winning goal or anything. That's the most important person. It's going to be probably the happiest or the saddest. Or also go for the captain of that team. Just as, you know, so you know what's going on with the whole. Because I think the second picture of the Simon Leonard thing is just all over the place, you know, because he couldn't decide which one he wanted to take. And he gave us this like Instagram picture. Yeah. it's <laughs> so Listen, like, okay, you, you have to, bad. you have to get away from the snapshot. A snapshot is when you're just pointing your camera at something that's happening and shooting. Like there's, I get it. You, you know, you can't rush out onto the floor at this point or something like that. That's fine. But you still have to make a picture. You can't just take what's there. And that's what this is. Like the first one is closer. The angle's not quite there. And the, you know, it's too far away and the crop is bad or whatever. But the second one is like, no, no it's just not enough. No. Let's make it really quick, the other ones, because it's going to take a long uh, time. Let's just like. Tom, I, you know, it, that it's fine. It's just, you know, you're capable of better than this. And, you know, the way the uh, it's composed, you know, isn't particularly interesting. Um, I don't really see the BHE one at all. I don't know what's going on there. This sports Sergo sports photo one, there's absolutely there's no emotion there. Don't tell me, just think to yourself, tr you know, try to justify how that's an emotion. I, I would love to know. This lacrosse one is a garbage picture and there's no emotion in it. The emotion, the... <laughs> I'm like the least emotional person that there is. And why why are we getting these pictures that have no emotion in them? I, people just not understanding. Jim, I don't know. These pictures rarely work out. They just, how would this have been better if there was more separation mm. in between the guy in the white and the guys in the red, you know? Um, you know. Yeah, but the guys in the red, like, I wish they were celebrating a lot more, like jumping onto each other and things right. like that. And you don't really see that, right? You know? Yeah, they're just, just like, they're just kind of they're just kind of huddled up. You know, if 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 yeah. he had been further away from them, and you had you know, you had the guy in the white and sharp focus, and everybody else, you could tell that they were the other team and that they were happy or whatever, but they were more out of focus. I think that would have been a more interesting picture than this. But as it is, again, it's a snapshot. Michael, you know, that's a, that's a, it's that's a fun. good face. I, I don't care for his hands being cut off that way, but you yeah. know, yeah, I mean, you know, this is better than most of the other ones, but it's not something you're going to have in your portfolio or anything like that. So, you know, aim a little bit higher, you know, again, with this wrestling one, 
The last two is awesome. Um, yeah. You know, no, and Simon, you should know better than this. I mean, that's ridiculous. Ugh. That's it for a assignment desk, and you will get your assignment in the next segment because that's called masterclass. Um, and Matt's gonna talk about training ground before we move on to masterclass. Matt Colwin, training ground. If you came here looking for information on training ground, you're out of luck. We've moved it to YouTube and therefore you'll get to see your rewards and punishments on video. Go to youtube.com and search for Big Lens, Fast Shutter, four separate words. In Masterclass, we pick a topic in sports photography and we serve it on a plate to your ears. You got something to say? Tell us at biglensfastshutter.com. So, um, next month, we have an assignment. Uh, so we're going to talk about a little bit about the Masterclass topic and its lighting. So we, uh, as part of our subscribers on Patreon, what they, one of the things that they get from pledging to support this podcast is they get to ask a question and have us answer it on the podcast. That segment is coming up later, but one of the ones that's in here, I think is a good question and something that people don't always consider. And so I wanted to break this out into masterclass and, and therefore Simon desk. So it's from Simon A. West. Simon says, you both talk a lot about being aware of the light, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. its direction, oh, quality, yeah. etc. I've been looking at a lot of photos, trying to learn how to use the light better, but can either of you point me towards or suggest books, blogs, exercises, or practice that help me understand how to use light, in quotes, wow. better in my images? Um, no, I can't, <laughs> I can't really suggest any books, blogs, or exercises. I've never read a photography book, and I don't read any photography blogs other than our own. I don't know about exercises, but I can tell you how I think about light. And Ryu can tell you how he thinks about light. And I guarantee you that both of us think about light more than most other people do. For me, whenever I know that I'm shooting something, I think about what time of day it is. I think about what time of year it is. I look at the weather and try to figure out if it's going to be overcast or if it's going to be sunny. If I've been to the place before, I go back and look at the pictures that I've made there. If it isn't, I go onto Google Maps and, you know, try and get a sense really? of the direction and if there's any... Oh my God. Oh yeah. If I'm going somewhere new and let's say it's going to be, you know, either earlier in the morning or later in the day and I want to know, am I going to get light? The light's coming in really low. Is it going to be, is it going to go over the wall of the stadium or arena or whatever that I'm at? Is it going to be blocked by a hill or a bunch of trees or something? I like to know all of that stuff, especially if I'm going somewhere new. I think that the 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 first thing, like people get caught up in this photography, people, it's a golden hour, it's a blue hour, you know, whatever. And the golden ends up meaning, okay, well, the sun is really low and it's going through the atmosphere in a way that is picking up a lot of the particles. And so it ends up being a golden kind of light. And that's good. But it doesn't mean that you always have to shoot with the light like so shooting something that that light is directly bouncing off of like it looks pretty but there's so much more that you can do with that light and we have some people in the group who try to do different things with it you have to move it past okay that light is pretty and i want to take pictures of that light bouncing off of things so i'll give you a really good example one of the rodeos that i shoot happens right in the middle of the summer longest days of the year and the the morning stuff happens at 
8 a.m. and the evening stop happens at 7 a.m. So I'm getting good light both times. It's coming in very low, it's colored, very pretty light. And I could just sit there and shoot with it and you know make very well exposed pictures, you know, in that light, but there's more interesting things. If you're shooting into it, you can use lens flare to kind of blur out all of the background and focus everything on whoever you're taking a picture of. And then that flare is going to be really pretty because it's going to be gold. And, you know, and then you can just, you just adjust the contrast from there and you have great pictures that are really rare. Like you don't really always have a chance to use that kind of light. You can shoot from one of the sides or behind, you know, you're using it as like a rim light. So the, everything else is going to be dark and the stuff around the edges of where the light is coming from is going to be lit up in a more interesting kind of way. And then you can play around with the exposure to drop everything else off into darkness. Or you could shoot with it in a way that if you have a background, the reason you don't always want to shoot with the light is the light on the subject is also going to be hitting the background. And so you're going to lose a lot of separation if it's all bright light all the time. But if you can figure out a way to shoot you know, either elevated or really low so that you have a background that is not getting the same exact light as what you're shooting on, then you're in a lot better shape and you can use that light. Oh. The whole thing about photography is that it's all completely dependent on light. Sometimes you have to shoot at noon or one o'clock and the light sucks, or sometimes you have to shoot under floodlights and it sucks, but you have to take advantage of the time where there is good light and do different things with it, not just shoot directly with the light. Okay, so I have to kind of like start saying that in most cases, like natural light doesn't really exist in football because we play our games quite late in the evening. So it's kind of, you know, it's all gone. Sometimes it is played during the day. So like this, like right now, it's still summertime and the lights actually stay a bit longer. I really just want to make sure that I get the best out of it because once it's gone, it's gone. And so like the meaning of like kind of getting the best out of it is like I want to like get shots with like really hard light. It's a lot of really contrasty stuff like Matt was talking about like, you know, just like one part being absolutely black and the other part being absolutely like lit up. And that's what I really, really, really really want to go for. And that's the type of shots that I usually go for when there's, you know, any sort sort of daylight. If it's overcast, there's nothing really much you can do. It's just like a normal day, you know, like everything's just quite balanced out. So what I always kind of look out for really like hard light. So if it's spotlight so i really want to like make sure that's the only light source that's going to show up on the actual image and it's not easy because it does kind of depend on like how strong that light is if the light is not that strong then you won't really get to see anything even if i just kind of dial down everything so that like you know i expose it only to the light everything else is black it's just like too dark so that's one thing that i do the other thing is that's very difficult though because most places that I shoot is quite even light and if you want to kind of like use the light in your advantage I shoot basically into the sun all the time like without fail I always shoot into the sun and why that is is that I just like the way it looks that's it so when everyone else is trying to like kind of avoid like shooting into the sun, I always shoot into the sun because I think my image will look better than, than theirs because it'll look exactly how it would because it would be evenly lit unless there's like really hard shadows. Those are the kind of like the two things that I really just, you know, make myself aware of when I go to an event or when I go and shoot any sort. Yeah, when I just go shoot in general. 
but it all kind of goes down you know there's nothing to really talk about when for instance it's like a football pitch and everything's basically like lit quite evenly like side the side part the side like the touchdowns are not really evenly lit but the middle is quite you know nicely lit but there's nothing really like you know contrasty like hard thing that's gonna like fall on the players like the sun does i don't have anything else to say about that really yeah, I think, uh, you know, just a- adding a couple things to that, I-, I do shoot in- into the sun quite a bit. I think that it goes back to what I was talking about. If you're shooting in the same direction as the light, like I was saying, the the background is going to have the same thing. So if you're trying to kind of get separation from the background, shooting into the sun is better because the necessarily the there's not the same light that's hitting the crowd or the stadium or whatever behind it so that's that's an important thing to do and it you really need to know how to do that you know settings wise and post-processing wise because it's not the easiest thing in the world to figure out but a little trial and error you should be able to get it and then the other thing is that even with floodlights like one thing that i'll do especially shooting baseball because you're shooting in a sunken position so your your camera is basically at field level so Anything that's happening really close to you, you can have the stadium lights directly behind the player's head. So I have a bunch of interesting pictures from that kind of situation. So, you know, it's the same kind of idea as shooting into the sun where the sun's going to be behind his head or the light's going to be behind his head, but everything else is going to be kind of dark. There's not like a set number of things that you can do, but the more aware you are and the more aware of what any kind of angle to the light or what the light is going to get you, the the more creative you can be with that light. And so if you take anything away from this, just understand that it's not all about getting good light on what you're shooting. It's about how you use it. So I want to see, I want to see people trying this for the next one. Like it, it really should be a lot more interesting than what we just looked at. Yeah. So just kind of like, you know, show us that, you know, I mean, it will be much easier to do this like during the day than the evening because evening, like I said, like, it's just not, like, it has to be really, really, like, spotlight or something to, like, make it, you know, work. Or, like, Matt said, like, something, you know, like, floodlights in the background or something. So, but think really, really hard what you're going to do. Like, don't just go to a place or go to a match and just start shooting. Just, like, really, really, really think about it. And say, okay, I'm going to go to this, this you know, a game on this day and during... You know, like, like we're lunchtime, and this one's gonna be inside. Like, how am I gonna actually like think about the light? Really, really think about it, because obviously, like you know, there's a lot of cases we see in the assignment desk that you don't really obviously think about it at all. It's a thinking man's game and a woman's game. Okay, so please do. If we made any difference in your life, we probably have. Hopefully, positive, not too negative. Probably negative, actually. You know, a lot of people. Don't have like you know such thick skin, but in any case, please go to Patreon.com/blfs, and that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/blfs, and pledge for us or to us or towards us or whatever. If you are a regular listener, regular user of Training Ground, and if you haven't given us any money, you should feel terrible. I mean, you're getting a lot out of this. I mean, don't shouldn't you pay like? know us to do more good stuff right so if you feel that way right now go to patreon.com blfs
Um, this is for people who pledge for us on patreon.com slash BRFS. If you give us $10 or more, you get to ask us questions and we will answer them because we are capable people who can answer questions that are submitted by people of your caliber. Starting off with uh, Michael K. He asks, when shooting large field sports such as football and soccer with a 400mm 2.8 or any long lens for that matter, what settings do you use typically typically use on the full limit selector and why? Uh, full 7 to 3.5 meters and the other one, uh, that's the limit. And the other one is full which is uh, infinity to 6 meters. Do you ever vary your selection based on circumstances or you one setting guys? Thanks. Which one are you? Uh, I I change it based on circumstances for sure. Really? Um, mo yeah, most of the time it's going to be at the 6 meters to infinity because... It makes everything faster so that the focus doesn't, you know, when you lose the focus, it doesn't have to rack all the way through the whole range to get back to where it was. If I know that something is going to be coming closer, then I will put it to full. I, I don't know. I, I forget, honestly. I don't think that my lens has the middle section. I think it's just full and limited to six meters or whatever meters it is. But 90% of the time, it's six meters to infinity. And then the other part of it, it's full. And that's only... Like 3.5 to infinity, right? Isn't it? Whatever it is. It's I, I only have two. It's something to infinity and then full. That's a weird... That middle setting is weird because you would have to know that something was going to be happening in that range, I think. Yeah. But anyway, I wouldn't use that for, for anything. I don't but think. But four is like, you. I think you get closer, right? You get like 3.5 millimeter, five, five meters to infinity, right? That's, yeah. what, that's what four is. Yeah, yeah, I put on four and I don't, I don't change it ever because six meter is quite, six meters quite far and nothing really comes. They usually come closer than that and, four is it right but are you shooting your 400 at closer than six meters is what yes. 20 feet yeah 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 yeah, yeah because if they, you know, if they come out and celebrate it's really in my face you know and it has to be yeah but i would at that point i would be switching to the second lens why why because like 400 on somebody that's meter? yeah no i would be switching lenses oh uh, no 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 but i want to shoot with the 400 2.8 that's yeah, right. Point. I understand. I, yeah, yeah. I just, uh, you know, I generally don't shoot celebration or something like that that close. I do. All right. I don't think that you can be a one setting guy. I think that you, you do need to change it based on circumstances. I think that if one of them works for you all the time, then that's great. But I would definitely not want it to be like I have missed pictures because i forgot to take something off of full and the autofocus just was hunting through right. too many different things to get to what it was this cannot possibly be like that long of a long of a that question does not require that much of an answer all right slim shoddy asks what are your views on shooting for multiple wire agencies based in the same country i was advised to stick to one as they all know each other yes don't cross streams <laughs> like it's not a good thing to do Unless you take really completely different pictures for both of them, um, I would stay away from like for same countries. I wouldn't do it. Like it just makes a bit messy, you know. The gist of it is that this is all based on your availability. So you want to be available whenever someone calls you. And if you have to say, "Oh no, I already booked myself here," then they're going to call you less often. And it's definitely better to to stay with one and try and get as much seniority as you can get them to trust you as much as they can and then be available to them so 
uh, there's nothing really to be gained by shooting for multiple. North of Tassie asks, I take pictures of local amateur sporting events. My pictures are crap by BLFS standards. Okay, well, it's your fault, not ours. And I'm trying to improve. But the parents like them because of significantly lower standards. I like that. <laughs> however, however, I've noticed that there are some geared up photographers at the game and one or more may be trying to put food on the family's table by selling pictures that I'm giving away for free. Are there any, ah, oh, that's interesting. Are there any ethical considerations for amateurs to consider regarding giving away pictures for free because it's just a hobby? I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, if you take a picture, then you want to give it away for free. That's your that's your thing i mean you should always be competing with other people you shouldn't feel bad that if you're you know if the other guy's taking shit pictures and he's, he's charging for it and you're doing it for free and you're taking better pictures maybe you should charge for it he's not saying that his pictures are better than theirs or, or even the same but but i think it's fine why not he wants to give them up for free it's that's his problem right well yeah i <laughs> you know i have to deal with this all the time there's always somebody willing to shoot rodeo for free and it sucks um they're never as good but you know the standards for what's considered acceptable to print what's acceptable to publish like the you know even sports illustrator whatever would rather have a free picture than a good picture oh yeah of course let's put it this way i don't care about the ethics of it i i don't care i don't consider it to be unethical because you're making the decision. Nobody's making you give anything away for free. So I don't think that there's ethics involved in this. I think that what really comes down to is why would you shoot for free when other people are doing it and getting paid? Why wouldn't you try to get paid? Even if it was less or the same or something like that, or if you're charging the same and your pictures weren't quite as good or something like that, why why not get paid? Like you're gonna have to buy gear. If you're gonna get serious about this, you're gonna have to buy expensive gear. If you're spending time shooting and you're spending time listening to us and trying to improve and you're giving money to us, I, you know, I would charge because if you get people used to getting things for free, they're always going to want things for free. Like the difference between charging a little bit and then raising your prices a little bit versus charging nothing and then trying to charge a little bit, it's a huge difference. People, if you get people used to getting things for free, they will assume that everything is free all the time. And that's not a good precedent to your, to set for yourself. I don't care about the other people. Let them, you know, let them figure out their own businesses, but I just wouldn't want people getting my stuff for free and then, you know, as I get better, still expecting it for free because then what's the point of getting better? So kind of like in that context, I've recently, like, you know, I started shooting climbing and the guy who's in charge of the, uh, the, nas the Japanese national team, I got, I got, you know, I, got, I, spoke, I spoke to him about it and I, they told me all the climbers you know that are involved in this like any competition they have to pay for everything on their own so i said to them once you get a big sponsor you can start like paying for my pictures but until then i'll be happy for them to you know be using my pictures for free so i can actually like spread my word and i can also like get you know advertised by these people and then you know that'll be good after that i like i agree with matt like i never actually like go into any sort of deals not thinking ahead into the future and like i will never just like say hey just have it for free because it doesn't really make any sense you know it just doesn't i think you should charge them if you want if you want to charge them. if you like if they want to like your if they like your pictures a lot then yeah why don't you like say hey like you know let's just like work out a deal like i can't i don't know i don't want to do this for free i want to become professional at some point or something you know but really it's it's, it's a personal choice honestly i think 
because you, if you want to stay as an amateur photographer if you don't really think about care about making money out of it or whatever then yeah do it for free i think it's fine so jim summer's photography this question is for matt i think you should answer this okay so um, this is question is for me when shooting behind the scenes at a rodeo during the daylight or early evening hours like what do you mean like behind the scenes like what okay let me read the whole thing how do you deal with trying to get a well-exposed photo with everyone wearing a cowboy hat with their eyes shaded do you use fill flash at all maybe like behind the scenes what the hell is like behind? like when you're like preparing yeah so you know how when you shoot football they're in the locker rooms getting ready at rodeo they're just out in the open okay so it's like so i shouldn't do daylight or really so basically they're they're out in the open right they're outside yeah. is there like sufficient light yeah it's bright the problem is the shadow from the cowboy hats well then don't you just kind of have to like it's either a expose for the face probably you should anyway yeah. right or b you kind of have to like create like use kind of that to an advantage and like take shots with uh the shadows yes. over the face good answers that's I would very do. good answers yeah. um that's basically how i would have answered um I don't use flash? I don't use fill yeah. flash. I, I think it looks like shit. Uh, honestly, there there are guys that I see you know behind the scenes before the rodeo starts or whatever, and they have an on camera flash or any of those ridiculous mini boxes or whatever that you put over the flash or whatever so that it mm. softens it a little bit. Their pictures all just end up looking ridiculous to me. You can't. There's nothing you can do. You can't overpower the sun with a speed light. So it just ends up looking like shit. I, I think that maybe one time at a rodeo at night, I used, you know, a little ring flash. I forget what it's called. A ray flash. It, it's a ring flash that fits over a speed light. And you can do some cool things with that. I've, I've used it a little bit here and there, and I wanted a, you know, a different look or whatever, so I used that to do some portraits and some detail stuff of guys getting ready, like taping their hands or whatever, and they're okay. It doesn't look great. The, you know, it is, it's a cheap, you know, it's a cheap modifier for a cheap flash. I don't believe in speed lights. I, I just don't. I, I think that, you know, if you have a portrait set up or whatever, and you have uh, umbrellas or boxes or whatever, they're perfectly fine. But in the situations where I would want to use a flash, a speed light isn't really going to get it done. Uh, it's just not big enough. It's not powerful enough. It's going to look like a speed light type of picture. And I don't like that. So what do I do? Yeah, I expose for the faces. And I think that maybe part of the problem that you're having is that you're shooting behind the scenes with a longer lens and you're standing far away. And that's that's not what you want to do. When I shoot behind the scenes stuff, I want to fill the frame with what I'm shooting. And I want to be with a wide angle lens and I want to be close up to it. And I want to expose for what I'm shooting. And the rest of it can be blown out. Like the sky can be blown out. That's fine. You don't have to worry about that shoot for what you're shooting, you know, get under the shadows, get close enough that the shadow becomes just what you're exposing for and just do it that way. It's fine. All right. Uh, football question for Matt. Where are your three favorite spots to shoot from when you cover a football match? Interesting. Matt Cohen. My favorite spot, which I really don't get to do very much anymore, when the Earthquakes, who are the team that I shoot the most, were playing at a college stadium, you could shoot from basically along the sideline up to the top of the 18-yard box. And I like that one because you can get you know, both the guys coming up the field, you know, if you're fast, you can still get a shot of the goalie making a save, you know, straight up instead of like at a, you know, really crazy angle that you would get from the side that you can't do that at their new stadium. And you can't do that at most stadiums because it's seating like they sell those for a lot of money. So my first would be along the side at the top of the 18 yard box. 
And then otherwise I want to shoot either all the way out at the corner flag, um, again, to get a better angle on if the goalie's going to make a save towards you. And then the other uh, would be right next to the goal so that, you know, you might be able to get something good of somebody coming in from the wing uh, directly at the goal. So top of the 18 right beside the goal or right beside that's the okay flag. i i tend to do is that because I, I i think it's like if you're basically like at this on the side or if you're at the the corner flag what you can get is celebrations because they usually come towards the corner or anything like action it's not it's easier it's much easier to shoot football from the side it's absolutely absolutely much easier and the reason is when the answer is it's because people only the players only basically go right to left you know, you're shooting from the side. It's like watching TV. They only go right, left, right, left. But if you're shooting next to a goal, they go right, left, and they go left, uh, right, left, and they go up and down. So it's a lot more difficult, but you get more interesting shots because of the fact that they're coming towards you. With the sidelines, they are only going to go right, left, you know, in front of you. So you only get like quite, It's for me, it's quite too, it's quite too flat for me. And also the corner thing, a lot of agencies are are there because they have to get celebration pictures. It's like, it's their thing. They have to get it. And it's also this between the corner flag and to the goal is sufficient enough that, you know, when there's like a corner kick or whatever, they can just use the 7200 as they do all the time. And they crop it and they send it to their agency and they, they clap, you know, they give a slap on either each other's ass and get really happy about it. It really kind of depends. Do I tend to like shoot right, almost right next to the goal, not right next to next to, but quite close to it. The reason why is that I just save to the, the left side, like the other side of the pitch. I don't really care. Like that's not, if it, something happens over there, there's nothing I can do about it. I rather concentrate like on that other fifty percent of the pitch and make something. Well, hopefully something happens on that side of the pitch that I'm shooting. Because I think if you want to cover everything on a football field, um, you need like a I don't know like a crazy lens that does you know eight hundred to two hundred or something, so you can just get everything. And it just doesn't work that way. That's it now for your question. Thanks for asking, Jim and Kevin and. I think there was some good information in there. Good questions. It's better. It's much better than the yeah. So pay up parts. if you want to ask us questions <laughs> pay us and you can ask us and look how well we answer them i would say think about how difficult it would be to get those questions answered any other way from professional professional full-time yeah. photographers like you could ask a forum and you could get a million knuckleheads answering oh I, I did this and it worked awesome and then you go and look at their pictures and it's like uh, no, they didn't do this, and these pictures suck. Think about how much value you get out of that, and you're not even the one asking the questions, and then think about maybe if you want to be the one asking those questions. So for those who want to ask us questions who haven't paid us, it's patreon.com slash BLFS. Think we only have bad things to say about sports photography? You say we got no soul? Hell no. We're gonna prove you wrong with Cross 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 Cut 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 Time to hold your fellow sports photographers' hands as we tell you why a specific sports photograph makes us quiver with joy. Olympics. I will put more links to, you know, we have so many of these like best Olympic, like best of the real Olympics.
Matt and I, before the show started, we were just kind of like, you know, going through some of the websites and I'll say something about it really quickly and Matt will say something really quickly and we'll just go to Cross Counter. They're very bad. In general, it's just very, very bad. We went through this when we did the Sochi thing as well. It's really speed over quality. Like, it just doesn't matter. There's everything just, things has to go to the editors and editors need to like put it on their server and it's there. And newspapers, websites, they say, oh, look, it's Michael Phelps winning the gold. I'm just going to take this one. He's wearing gold medal. Great. That's it. Boom. Done. And that creates just a bunch of shitty photography in general. And this is really, really bad. And like I was like, you know, looking at Petapixel and they're like showing like, oh, look at like Canon and Nikon or like Getty has like this crazy like warehouse full of like, you know, lenses and cameras. But for, for this for to take absolutely garbage pictures garbage to average pictures and it really does actually hurt me because they're really really good photographers and they don't really get to show any of their skills because you know they the customers the end clients don't really care for that kind of stuff they just want shit yeah it just it really comes down to you have a subscription to getty you run some shitty website or some shitty newspaper somewhere and you need it as fast as you can or you think you you know that's like the working assumption you need it as fast as you can and you need it to be of whoever you're writing the article of and it doesn't matter after that i would love to know what the communication is between getty's clients and getty always just faster and more obvious you know to get people to click or whatever and it just ends up being the people who have trained all their lives to be great sports photographers end up making really bad pictures and we're you can click on the link the one that we're working off of today is on the boston gloves website it's their photo editor's blog called the big picture you know i'm looking i'm looking through these there's one of katie ledecky getting her gold medal with the olympic rings behind it and you could literally train a monkey to make this picture a monkey you could make a monkey figure out how to set up a camera and take this picture there's no skill whatsoever involved. It's just terrible. You know, but somebody who's on staff at Getty Images made it and it went out to a million different places and probably ran in thousands of uh, magazines or but websites and a few newspapers or whatever. It's terrible. And you just on down the line. It's just not the, the way that the media business is set up right now. Is, it's not set up to make great pictures. It's set up to make fast, very recognize, instantly recognizable pictures. And that's it. So, you know, we're looking at this article that's, they haven't done their whole Olympics yet. This is just like the first week or something like that of the gold medal moments they call it which is either people getting their medals celebrating or you know in the process of winning their event there's 32 pictures here and there are maybe three decent pictures and only one very good picture and Ryu and i both settled on number 10 it is a russian who won the gold medal in the greco-roman 85 kilogram weight class wrestling it's taken from up top it's, it's very geometrically laid out the Rio Olympics and the Olympic rings are on one side and the outline of the boundary of the wrestling mat is arcing on the right side of the image and then the guy's running around the mat with his country's flag almost completely perpendicular to the camera which worked out pretty well this is a great picture this is everything that i would want in an olympics picture you know you can instantly tell that it's from the olympics because of the name and the the rings they don't bring the flags out until you win the gold medal so you know you have that and then on top of it it's just really well composed so yeah this is a great picture and but that's really the extent of the ones that we're looking at here. You can scroll through the rest of these. The link 
will be in the blog post that goes along with this podcast. And I encourage you to go through and try and figure out what the hell was going on and all the rest of these. Just like one thing you can probably get out of this entire selection of really subpar pictures galore is there are a lot of emotions involved in a lot of these pictures. And you should look and say, okay, these are what emotions, this is what emotion means. Is that that's about it really i can't really say anything more about this because you're so shitty i'm sorry this is really really bad and i hope that what we really try to do like with big lens fashion over here is we try to really make you a better sports photographer and we really really do i think i actually did, did post something very similar to this on facebook and someone was saying like yeah but you know, their press on time and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, but that doesn't mean like we have to like settle for like really shitty pictures in general either, you know? I've, I've said before this, but there are like all these guys are very good. They, they're not, they didn't actually like just get here by chance. Some people, yes, but most people, they didn't. But they never will be able to actually like kind of, you know, showcase their talent because. Well, they can, but not at the Olympics. No. I think the, the Olympics is like a singular event where everybody's eyes are on it at the same time and speed has become the priority. And, and I just want to reiterate, we're not criticizing the photographers. They neither made the decision to do this or are happy about it. They didn't make the decision and they're unhappy about it. So this isn't on them. They're not, we're not suggesting that they're bad. We're not suggesting that they made bad choices. No. None of that. They're, these are excellent photographers. These are guys who have decades worth of experience. They're just in a bad situation because of which way the media industry has no. gone. That, that's all. And it's, it's sad, but I think that I'm glad I don't have to do it. Because if I went through the hassle of getting credentials and traveling there and, you know, living there and, you know, shooting 24 hours a day for two weeks or three weeks or whatever, and I had to make pictures like this, I would not be happy at all. Bad stuff. Yeah, some of the stuff is out of focus as well, which is also very, very bad. Or it's been cropped to the point of like no return. It's just terrible. Okay. That was a very, very long one. And that ends Cross Counter. And with that, we end the 58th episode of Big Lens Fast Shutter. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners, and obviously Rob with two Bs, our wonderful producer, Extraordinaire. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Cohen, please go to our Facebook page and like us better yet. Do that and subscribe to our blog at BigLensFastShutter.com so that you won't miss any of our latest and greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please rate this podcast on iTunes. And obviously, if you have that dollar in your pocket, please pledge to us at patreon.com slash BLFS to recap Facebook, blog, iTunes, and Patreon. Rinse, repeat, love us more. See you next month.